please, can can I be your default guest? Of course. When you don't have anyone else oh or when gosh. someone bails on you? That would Truly. be so fun. We'd okay. love that. Deal. Welcome to the latest episode of Oxygen Starve, the podcast that brings you your ABCs, adventure, books, and conversation at 11,000 feet. With your esteemed hosts, Dr. Stacy Adler of the Mono County Office of Education and Mr. Christopher Platt of the Mono County Free Library. Welcome to the Oxygen Star Podcast, where we bring you adventures, books, and conversations, your ABCs from 11,000 feet. I'm Stacy. I'm Christopher. And with us, as always, is producer Doug. Good hello. morning. Hello, hello. Nice to see you guys here today. Nice to see you, Stacy. In this holiday space. Doug, in this holiday space. It's that time of year. It is. Both inside and out. I know. We have so much snow. Yay. Yay. It's putting everyone in a happy mood. It is, I actually. Love, it makes you happy to live in like a winter sports area when the snow actually comes down. You know, I ever every year since we've moved up here, I, I have this needless panic that we're not <laughs> going to have a white Christmas. And if you li- live in a mountain town... You should have a white Christmas. Oh, absolutely. So For all sorts of reasons. We're not going to have a problem with that this year. No, winter's, uh, winter doesn't start until a little bit later than this podcast comes out. Right. Um, but it has already started in the Eastern Sierra. In force. And, you know, um, one of the things that sticks out to me at this time of year is like you kind of have to shift your mindset you know, and how you get through your day. Yes, right? definitely. Um, especially here where you ha- where a lot of people have to drive distances to get yep. to where they're going. I come up from Bishop, which is about 40 miles south of Mammoth Lakes, right. up a steep grade and around lots of, you know, curvy parts of Highway 395. Past my house. Past your house. Yep. And, you know, when the snow is coming down, you, you really learn you got to slow down, Yeah, you know, pull over into the slow lane and just take it easy getting into right. work yep. um, so that you'll actually get there. Absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. And, and get, and get home too. And get home. Yeah. You want to give yourself extra time and it just takes like one, seeing one or two people spun out on the median or in a snowbank to realize, okay, you know what? Yeah. <laughs> or even somebody, you know, slightly fishtail mm-hmm. in front of you is mm-hmm. enough to, for me to, make my shoulders go up into my ears and <laughs> tense up all over the place. <laughs> Which you don't want to have happen while you're driving. No, no. I used to come into work on mornings like that after a gnarly drive mm-hmm. and the back of my neck and my sh- back of my shoulders would be so sore because yeah. I was so tense driving up here every day. <laughs> oh my God, I made it. And Doug drives down from and, the Levining Mono Basin area. Yeah, the other way. Which has its own challenges, yeah. a couple of grades, really yeah. windy mountain roads. Yeah. Um, but you know, one of the things that I also love about it is there are those magical moments and you know, a lot of, especially this time of year when there's a lot of sun out, but there's a lot of snow and ice on mm-hmm. the ground and on the waters, you know, especially in the Mono Lake Basin and in and near Crowley Lake, yeah. in the Caldera, there's this phenomenon called pogo nip. Pogo nip. Pogo, like a pogo oh, stick. Okay, I was pogo-nip. told pogo, like hard K okay. in there, but... 
we'll, we will we'll have we'll to look that define. up. Listeners, <laughs> listeners, tell weigh us. in. I know it's an indigenous word. Yeah. I think it, the Forest Service says it's Paiute yeah. or Shoshone, and it's yeah. to describe this kind of freezing fog. Yes, and it can be really thick. Like it, it mm-hmm. it's like a mountain fog. You drive into it, but if you get to certain points, especially in the Mono Basin, you kind of come underneath it and you see everything frozen, like. The world yeah. is crystalline. And it's beautiful and sparkly and... Magical. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's really kind of a phenomenal, wondrous thing yeah. to experience. Um, and it, it it's not, you know, unique to the Eastern Sierra, but it is a fairly common, common thing that yeah. happens. Oh, definitely. And, you know, my house is right across the street from mm-hmm. the lake. So the... The Poganip, Poganip, whatever, however we say it, mm-hmm. is a frequent, you know, we see it every single day. Right. And Do you get tired of it? No. No. <laughs> but today, you know, it was, it was strange because today driving in, there, it was, usually it's in a solid block. Yeah. You know, like you, you have like three miles or, you know, right. four miles uh, driving in this thick fog that you cannot mm-hmm. see the car in front of you. Right. Um, but today it was broken up. A little and more wispy? Yeah. Well, yeah, you, you drive through it and then you'd have this moment of clarity and you could see everything and then it came back. <laughs> and that, that has, that was a new thing. That's never yeah. happened before. But That's unique. Yeah. I, you know, I drive my, my 14 year old daughter to school every day. And so this was an opportunity to teach her about driving in fog that you Safely. don't turn your bright lights on your really? high beams. You leave them off, you go slow. She's very interested in learning right. how to drive now. So yeah. And Every the day challenges is a around here, right? Yeah. Yeah. You drive. It's also just like driving in snow when there's snow mm-hmm. coming down. Slow down. Yeah. Don't turn on your high beams because it'll disorient you. Absolutely. It, um, yeah. Much less blind people and coming the other direction. But also, you know, leave a lot of distance between you and the person in right. front of you because you really don't want to use your brakes. Absolutely. Yeah. Unless that, you're coming to a stop. You, yeah. You don't want it. In fact, we, we've been telling her about how, you know, you have your lower gears. Mm-hmm. So the, that's always, and when you're driving in bad weather, shifting down to a lower gear to slow your car down is a much safer way than mm-hmm. slamming on your brakes, which will cause you to fishtail yeah, or slide out. It doesn't even matter if you have all wheel drive. Doesn't matter. If, all wheel yeah. drive's great in helping you move forward. It's not really great in helping you stop. It's, right. <laughs> <laughs> and then the the lesson I learned from last winter, this winter we really prepped. I have a yeah. little plastic box in the back of our car, you know, with, you know, munchies and water and an ice scraper, blanket, yeah. you know, a flashlight, all that stuff you need to have in your car in the winter. Absolutely. And that's, you know, Caltrans, we'll, we'll post a link to their website um, in our show notes, but they have tips um, for driving in, in bad weather and one of their most important uh, tips is preparing your vehicle, making sure your yeah. vehicle is safe, making sure you have an emergency kit and a space blanket and lots of water. And right. Because, you know, last year we had that experience where people were stuck on 395 for hours yeah. because of an, an accident that happened. It closed both sides of the freeway mm-hmm. before Caltrans 
eventually just close the whole close the whole road, whole road, yeah, and let the plows go through, yeah. Which is something I just I wanted to point out. I pointed it out on the library Instagram earlier this week. Caltrans has a new app out for your device, which called, you just told me about, and I just, I just added about. it. It's called Quick Map. It's free. You can download it from um, the iTunes Store or you know your Android place. Um, but yeah, it'll show you where the road conditions are, where road closes are, what the chain conditions are. You can see in real time where the plows are. So you can kind yeah. of see if a road has just been plowed or not. Um, and uh, also just kind of show you traffic conditions, which is really, really useful up here in the winter time, yeah, definitely. especially on weekends when we get a lot of people coming in to engage in those yes. winter sports. And for the people that are coming up here from down south to yeah. check that check that app, check the road conditions so that you're prepared. Right. Because that's something, you know, coming up here from Southern California, just didn't think about Yeah, uh, emergency kits in your car. And also just having that stuff and, and mm-hmm. checking your car out and being a mindful driver. Again, you can yeah. enjoy the experience so much more. And again, when you're driving through that really thick fog and you can't yeah. even see the front of your car, yes. you can kind of appreciate more about where you are and, and and having a good podcast like this to listen to, to keep you <laughs> occupied. Thank you. I didn't even think of that. It's always good to be prepared <laughs> to keep your mind engaged. Yeah, we have too. many hours banked. You can binge on Oxygen yeah. Starved Absolutely. while you're driving slowly through the winter conditions of the Eastern Sierra. Ab- Absolutely, and please do so. <laughs> Thanks, listeners. If you're driving, take it easy. Make sure you got some distance in front of you and um, have a great time. And uh, Be safe. Be safe. And uh, stay tuned. We'll be back with our book segment in just a minute. You're dialed in to Oxygen Starve, the podcast that brings you your ABCs, adventure, books, and conversation from 11,000 feet. Originating from the slopes of Mammoth Mountain in Mono County, California, you can find us at SoundCloud. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us at OxygenStarvedPodcast.com. Just make sure you find us. Welcome back, listeners. We're at the B section of the podcast, our book section of the podcast. And, and this is like a CB segment because we're talking about cookbooks. It's the CB section of the podcast. I'm so excited. You know what I like about this time of year, December, we're all kind of like nesting. It's the holidays. You're in the middle totally. of holidays. Yes. And, and there's always sorts of good smells coming from a kitchen. Yep. The snow has started to fly, hopefully, and the heat is on and it's just cozy and it's just a fun time of year. And people are eating and getting fatter. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So we decided to talk about cookbooks and, um, and kind of cooking in general. So mm-hmm. Stace, you brought in some cook. First of all, let's, so hmm, let's, let's open this question up to the listeners. Yes. We were talking before the podcast. Is there a difference between cooking and making food? I think there is a big difference between cooking and making food. And my family would definitely tell you there's a big difference between when I cook and when I just make food. So I try to cook and actually put effort into what I'm presenting to my family. Mm-hmm. As many times a week as I can, uh-huh. but given everybody's crazy schedules right. and working, and sometimes you just have to make food, and that's not bad, right? But there, I think there's a difference. Yeah, it's the kind of like 
the stuff you do in a kitchen on a weekend may be more cooking, you know, yes. more involved typically. But for those of us who work and come busy and come home, just need to get everyone fed right. and put to bed. Yes. Sometimes that maybe is just making food. Absolutely. But I'm curious what our listeners think. Yes. So listeners, chime in on our Instagram, on our website, Facebook. <laughs> Email us. Hit us up. Yeah, exactly. So we each talk, decided we would talk about some favorite cookbooks. Yes. And you brought some. So why I don't did. you start? Well, I have my two most recent cookbook purchases um, are Run Fast, Eat Slow, and the, that is written by Shalane Flanagan and Elise Kopecki. Mm-hmm. And for those of you that are athletes, runners out there, you know the name Shalane Flanagan. She's an Olympic runner, mm-hmm. marathon winner many times over. And a chef. And a chef, yes. Amazing. She loves to cook, and she's got a young child now, so... Um, the recipes in this book are fairly simple, um, really delicious, and really varied. So the the Superman or superhero muffins that um, <laughs> are in here were a big hit with my family this summer until they kind of got tired. I was making them every single week, and they were like, okay, enough, <laughs> enough with the superhero muffins. But there, there are some really good main course meals in there. She's got vegetarian options and... Um, you know, meat, all different yeah. meat and fish, chicken options as well, and some juices and desserts. So it's a it's a great totalitarian, you know, uh, cookbook. I like the subtitle, which is Nourishing Recipes for Athletes. Yes. So it sounds like, you know, if you're spending your afternoon on the slopes, snowboarding, skiing, or out the backcountry. Yes, you, know, you can snow- come home and make something quickly and nourishing and... Yeah. You know, it's going to refuel you for the next day. Yeah, so that's, totally. I'm enjoying that one. Let's, I've got tons of pink post-it notes all over I it. I see. Of, uh, recipes that I've made or will make. <laughs> and then, um, as Christopher knows, I'm kind of obsessed, well, we both are, with the great British baking, baking show. show. And um, Paul Hollywood, who's one of the judges... I became completely obsessed with him over Mm -hmm. the summer. And so I purchased his, actually my husband purchased for me his book, How to Bake. And it is all filled with all these bread, cake, biscuit, doughy kinds of recipes and very specific directions on how to make these things. Because baking is a science. It is definitely... Baking and cooking, that's another thing. They're two different things. Yeah. Because cooking, you uh, you can bring more creativity to it. You you know, if you want to throw in some extra spices here or there, yeah. you know, you have more license to do that. But when you're baking, if your measurements are off or your temperature of your oven is off, you know, your ingredients are off. Your Paul's going to tell you. Paul is going to tell you, and you will not get a handshake. You'll, you'll have a soggy bottom. You will. <laughs> yes, is it as intimidating in paper as he is on the Great British Baking Show? I think from probably, well, for me it is because all the measurements of all the ingredients are in the metric system. Grams and every, they Gram, weigh everything over yes. there. Yeah. And so... Um, I had to translate all of the measurements from, <laughs> you know, metrics to, um, you know, the English, our system. And that was 
that is, <laughs> I have to do that before every, I attempt every single recipe and thank goodness I have a little kitchen scale. So long, so, so it's not even just science, it's science plus math if yes. you're going to cook from Paul Hollywood's How to Bake. It makes me really sad that the U.S. didn't do a better job of educating kids <laughs> in the 70s on the metric system. So, so I see another cookbook yeah. there that's kind of related to this conversation, which is, you know, sometimes you have to adjust a little bit for 11,000 feet or 8,000 feet yes. or even 4,000 feet. Yes. And so when we moved up here, we were gifted this book called The New High Altitude Cookbook mm -hmm. by Beverly Anderson and Donna Hamilton. Which is a well-known book, I should point yeah, out. And yeah, and it's it's not a new cookbook by any means. It's right. been around for a real long time. And, um, you know, there the cover says, An Indispensable Guide to Successful Cooking and Baking at High Elevations. And there are changes that you have to make to accommodate high altitude. Mm -hmm. Water boils at a different temperature. Yeah. Don't ask me what... what temperature, but a different than it boils at sea level. So, you know, they're just all different kinds of things and, mm -hmm. um, that you have to adjust for. And now it's just a matter of, I don't think about it. No, you don't. Right. Yeah. You just go for you it. Just do it. <laughs> well, that's a really good illustration of, um, uh, the shelf life of cookbooks. Cookbooks, I think, are like kids' books. They have really long yeah. shelf lives, and and often they're passed down. Yes. And you know, once you find a good recipe, you keep it. You mm -hmm. know, and you'll you'll bring it out regularly, especially if it's for a special occasion. Yes. Um, so you know, we have the high altitude cookbook in our libraries, mm -hmm. and you'll find a lot of other celebrity TV chef yeah. cookbooks as well, and a and variety of stuff. You know, like for cooking in the backcountry, if you're hiking, that sort right. of thing, and cooking game, which a lot of yes. people around here fishing game. We do the cuisine, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it, it's interesting too because not only do cookbooks have this long shelf life, but they they have been continuing to be published by mm -hmm. all kinds of people, mm -hmm. despite the fact that you can go online and Google a recipe yeah. and get like 15 different recipes for chili. Yeah, or, exactly. You know, but yet people are still buying cookbooks, which is kind of fascinating to me. And I, I love cookbooks. I do too. And I think a, one of the reasons people do is because it is cooking. It's investing time. It's kind of like a science experiment. Mm -hmm. And as well, you know, it's just... You know, the act of cooking for me in my house, and I'm not a great cook at all. We talked before, I like one sheet dinners. If it can be done <laughs> in one pan, that's awesome. And then there's a cookbook for that. Yes, there um, is. But you know, it's kind of like, you know, oh, look what I created. And I can share yeah. it with the people that I care about. Yeah. You know, and that's that's kind of a special thing. So speaking of that, I brought some Yes, what did you bring? Too. And and speaking of a long shelf line that gets passed down through generations, I'm lucky to have a cookbook my mother gave me in a Scottish cookbook from 1930. Oh, um, how cool. Because she's from Scotland. And I, what I love about it, it's so old-fashioned. There's like really super old-fashioned recipes in here. And my favorite is, not my favorite recipe, but my favorite example is, you know, Scottish cooking isn't 
known for its, you know, it's not like Italian cooking or Chinese cooking, That's right? That's true. There's not a whole lot of Scottish restaurants out there. <laughs> Especially not in 1930. <laughs> um, there's a recipe in here for fish soup, and then right below it is a recipe for good fish soup. So that <laughs> kind of speaks to how Scots approach cooking. And the reason I go back to it regularly is is to make scones. My mother and her mother and, you know, the family uh, has made stovetop scones for generations, which is a Scottish thing and super easy to make very few ingredients, but, um, you know, highly politicized in our house. Did they come out? Well, who's, are you using an electric skillet or are you using a cast iron skillet? You know, blah, 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 blah. So that's one of my favorite ones. But another recipe that I go back to often, especially at this time of year, because it's comfort food, Mm -hmm. warm comfort food, is a potato gratin recipe that I got out of the Balthazar cookbook. Balthazar is a restaurant in New York. Really famous. Really famous restaurant. And it's all about French country food, which for me is garlic and cheese, my two downfalls. (laughs) Uh, And there's... uh, the potato gratin recipe is just like garlic and rosemary and thyme, and it's really wonderful and easy to make. But I often add to it, and I'll put in Gruyere or some Ooh. sausage or spinach or something, and then it can become that one-pan recipe. Right. Sure, yeah. <laughs> not so healthy. You know, putting a little spinach on top of a bunch That's... of cream is not the healthiest thing in the world, but still... No, but it, it's probably very ketogenic. There, thank you. I don't know what that means, but that's awesome. Thank it, you for that. It's a big diet. That's another. That's another episode. <laughs> but I'm ordering a copy for the library. If any of you are curious, there's a lot of really great French comfort food recipes in there. Um, it came out about maybe 15 years ago or more. And then just, I just wanted to point out a couple of other things that you'll find in bookstores and libraries when it comes to cookbooks. You know, there's a lot of vegetarians out there, mm-hmm. including my partner, Wills, is a vegetarian. So there's the Moosewood Restaurant Celebrates. Moosewood is another one of those that has been around for a long time. Years. Right. Yeah. And the recipes still resonate and they're still really wonderful. And, and since we're in the middle of the holiday season, you know, yeah. there's something to think about. There are also cookbooks for kids. Yes. And we've got a couple, I brought in a couple that I'll mention and we'll put on the website. Bean Sprouts Kitchen by Shannon Peyotsipe and Kelly Parthen. Um, it's how to make healthy food palatable for kids. So nice. it's kind of fun little recipes to make little monsters out of avocados, that kind of thing. Love it. And then America's Test Kitchen, which most people have heard about. Oh, Yes. They have a cookbook for kids, too, called The Complete Cookbook for Young Chefs, 100 Recipes That You'll Love to Cook and Eat. And again, this is kind of like bringing the science and math into it. Mm-hmm. So like kids learn yeah. about cooking as much as they learn to cook, Yeah, right? Yeah. And the recipes are real family-friendly recipes, a lot of barbecue stuff, healthy, healthy from cover to cover, um, but worth checking out. That's great. Yeah, I think... You know, when you cook at home and your kids see you cooking at home, they, they're they drawn into the kitchen, yeah. you know? And even if when they're the littlest of toddlers, my kids used... Their favorite thing when I was cooking dinner would be to sit in front of a cabinet and take every single right. thing out of that cabinet, <laughs> throw it all over the kitchen floor. and But, you know, now they... They like to cook sure. and, and they like looking at cookbooks and they'll ask, you know, are you going to give us this recipe or that oh, recipe? Cool. You know, we were talking about biscotti. It's almost biscotti. Yeah. I bake biscotti every Christmas and, you know, it's become a thing. Yeah. And the kids all want to know, well, who's going to get the recipe? <laughs> well, well it's also, I don't know. 
it's just, especially this time of year, right? When the stove's on yeah. and we're cooking some really wonderful, you know, celebration mm-hmm. food, the kitchen is the center of the home. Absolutely. Everyone gathers. Yeah. Even when you're having a party and there's all sorts of canapes and stuff that you lay out carefully in the yes. living room. Right. In isn't, the dining isn't room. Isn't that something that yeah. is so true? How it doesn't matter how I structure my house when I have a party. Right. People always end up right around the, the kitchen. kitchen. And eh, I don't know. I've given up. It's still fun. (laughs) Well, I think that's a great thing, actually. And so, listeners, I hope you guys are spending time in your kitchens right now, this time of year, and enjoying time with family and friends and and cooking, not just making food. food. Right. And if you have any special recipes you'd like to share with us, please do so. We'd love that. So thanks. So uh, yeah, get out your high altitude cookbook, maybe spend some time with it so you can kind of understand what it means to be this high and baking. I mean, be living this high and baking. (laughs) And uh, we'll be right back. listeners we are at our c part of our official c part of our conversation, conversation our conversation and we're so delighted today to have with us sandra di demizio owner operator president extraordinaire of green fox events and guest services yep an amazing Hi. company here welcome, in Sandra. Mammoth. Welcome. Thank you for having me. <laughs> We're so glad you're here. And you're also a mom of three. And yes. A wife and daughter yes. and all these. Yes. Amazing else. friend. Aunt. Yes. Board member. Volunteer. <laughs> Do you ever sleep? <laughs> I'm trying to get better at that. <laughs> <laughs> well, especially the holiday seasons, you probably get no sleep. Yeah, it's so true. We never do. Not enough. We just pile it on more and more. Well, Sandra, tell us about your adventure, how you came to be in Mammoth Lakes. Ha, the journey Mm -hmm. from (laughs) Italian neighborhood in Toronto to Mammoth Lakes. Mm -hmm. Let's see, in in two minutes or less, um, I went to university in Vancouver and met some fantastic people who inspired me to travel and be adventurous. And so my first job after university was with a luxury active travel company. Mm -hmm. And with that, I got to travel to some amazing places and do amazing things. And at that company, I met my now husband, Michael, who's American. Um, We courted for a few years. Is that Canadian? Is that what they say in Canada? Okay. okay. Um, (laughs) And then we got married and settled in the Bay Area, the San Francisco Mm -hmm. Bay Area and San Carlos. And that was during the dot-com recession. And Mm -hmm. we ended up in hindsight with lovely jobs, but at the time we were too cool for school and we had cubicle jobs and, Mm -hmm. and hated them. And we wanted to seek a lifestyle that was long-term for us. And so we actively sought out jobs 
in a cool place doing cool things. And we got those jobs. And those jobs were for me as the special events manager for the town of Mammoth Lakes and for Michael um, in wine and liquor distribution in this region. So we moved here in October, on October 5th, 2004. Wow. So 15 years. 15 years and three children ago. That's amazing. Yeah. Why Mammoth and why not one of these other cool places you guys visited? Um, well, Tahoe would have been the the most logical place mm-hmm. since we lived in the Bay Area. Yeah. But Michael and I never really wanted to do things that everyone else did yeah. or that our friends did. Yeah. And Michael said, hey, there's this cool place called Mammoth Lakes. I think you'd really like it. And so my first visit here was for my job interview (laughs) and and he had been here a couple of times before. That's Um, an adventure then. Yeah. That's like committing. Yeah. And it was a, it was a great experience, the job interview. It was the kind where, you know, they showed us around, they kind of wooed us a little bit Mm -hmm. and we met some lovely people who have since turned into some of our good friends. So uh, it did the trick. That's awesome. Yeah. And it was in the fall. Which helped. So thinking back to like when you guys first moved here, you're leaving the city, you're leaving kind of, you know, I don't want to say high power jobs, but we kind of, many of us have been in that situation. Your first year here, what was the most surprising thing or the most unexpected thing that happened? Um, I have a positive and a negative. <laughs> okay. We'll take both. Yes. Um, the positive was realizing how influential we could be in mm-hmm. a community. Cause in the Bay area, you know, we were a small guppy yeah. in a very large ocean. Yeah. Um, while we, we st- there were still great things about the Bay Area. I mean, mm-hmm. Michael and I chose to move to a smaller community so we could make a difference. And um, just knowing that our efforts made a huge impact in Mammoth, whether it was me planning an event, like right. the tree lighting mm-hmm. ceremony or... or million dollar trout stock or whatever (laughs) event it was, seeing the impact on the community was really rewarding. Yeah. And then, um, uh, the flip side was that you're also very much in the spotlight when you don't think you are Mm -hmm. and everyone kind of knows you and, or is trying to Mm -hmm. know you or your business. Right. And so that was a good lesson for me to just, you know, Try to be a good person at all times <laughs> and not, yeah. give, not give the papers or the radios or anybody anything negative to say. Yeah. Yeah. And just drive responsibly, right? Right. And use your turning signals. Your yeah. T- That's what it's I always true. think about. It's really true because people do, they'll know what car you drive. Totally. It's I true. Mean, they, they recognize, you, right? You don't, there's no escaping up I here. I don't want stink eye. No. <laughs> no. So, you know, you and I met because our, our, my youngest and your oldest went to daycare together when they were just these little babies. <laughs> But then we got to work on an event together, Kidapalooza, which was so much fun. I know. What was that? For those of us who weren't around. I'll let Sander describe it. It was a one-day festival of all things kids. And what was lovely is that we included all of our local agencies that Mm -hmm. have anything to do with families and kids. And MACA was there. The Mono County Office of Education was Mm -hmm. a huge Mm -hmm. sponsor. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, The Forest Service. So every public agency had a booth there. And they were all interactive. And then we had some great kids entertainment and games and it was just a 
Sounds like fun. It was just a was nice a, day. It was. It was a really fun experience for yeah. everybody and a ton of work. But Sandra did yeah. an amazing job taking right. the vision that we had mm-hmm. and turning it into a reality. So it was pretty amazing. But now you have started Green Fox Events and Guest Services. So tell us about that. What's that like? Uh, so, you know, I think I started it out of accident, by accident. <laughs> um, after my second child was born, I was on maternity leave and a friend asked me to help them plan their wedding. Mm-hmm. And I was always intrigued with weddings, but never really like a wedding junkie. Mm -hmm. And so I did it on a trade and then that kind of, um, snowballed into some other work requests and not just weddings, but other companies and organizations that needed help with a project would call me. And so I thought, I'm just going to register a little business name in town so that I can send them an invoice. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, within a few months, I left my job at the town, which in hindsight, <laughs> you know, might not have been the best decision, but <laughs> it was at the beginning of the recession. And so oh, okay. I, th- I felt that it was only a matter of time before m- I'd be looking for a new job. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so I thought I'm going to do this part time while I have two babies at home. And within a year... It had to go full time. Wow! Just yeah, because of the demand. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's amazing. Yeah, and so, that was at the beginning of the recession, and we doubled our revenue and client base every year since then, up until about three years ago. Yeah, because you're great to work with, right? You get yes. a good reputation, good team. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, I, I like to think we're good to work with. <laughs> I'm just supposing. I don't know. I have a great, great team, and we have an excellent work ethic, and we love what we do. Yeah. We are so fortunate to do what we love in a place like this. And I mean, life is too short to be doing something or to start a business doing something you're not jazzed about. So, sure. So I think weddings are such a special thing to work on people, work with people on, but they must be stressful at time, wedding celebrations. <laughs> so how do you handle and how do you school people through the things yeah. that might stress them out? Um, well, first and foremost, I, I read recently that a wedding planner was the second most stressful job in America. <laughs> you don't show it. <laughs> when our tagline is no stress allowed, ironically. So no stress is allowed for our clients, but we <laughs> certainly absorb and internalize it right. all. And, um, you know, we just enter the process on more of a lighthearted um, footing and it can be very stressful, especially for someone who's never planned an event for more than 10 people mm-hmm. who, you know, is doing it for the first time and hopefully their last. Yeah. And then you throw in money, you know, finances and emotion and right. family. And those are all stressors. Yeah. So we are always very proactive. We err on the side of over communicating and not under communicating. A lot of uh, clients turn into bridezillas, if you will, or momzillas <laughs> or groomzillas or bridesmaidzillas when they don't know what's yeah, going right. on yeah. or when they're not getting responses. Um, so we just try to be proactive and prevent a lot of those issues. Yeah. Um, and then we try to have fun ourselves while still being professional. Sure. And I, 
I, I truly believe that the energy you put out is the energy that you receive. Certainly. Absolutely. Certainly. So you, you mentioned a lot of stressors and I noticed you did not mention the weather. <laughs> so I just have to, Thanks for I just me. have to ask, how, you know, how, how often do, do you get into a situation here where you've planned a fabulous mm-hmm. outdoor wedding and the temperature plummets to 25 degrees and snow and <laughs> wind and rain. And, and now the, now we've got the lovely power outages. Ah, yes. And so, we've, we've faced all of those this year. Wow. So again, being proactive is sort of the best measure, um, the best tactic we can use. But um, many of the venues we work at are outdoors or have an outdoor mm-hmm. element. And so, yes, we do have to be prepared for incumbent weather. Mm-hmm. And that sometimes means having a tent or having heaters mm-hmm. or having an alternate venue. Um, and it means like anchoring everything down because one gust of wind will knock it all over. Um Fortunately, with, you know, the right planning and resources, we can weatherproof many things. Here, you know, if it's going to rain, usually you just have to wait out yeah. the rain. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but we have been hailed on and rained on <laughs> at weddings. We, we've been snowed on. Um, and often that makes for a great story, though. Yeah. So oh, we sure. try to spin it. Right. And you know, remind our clients like how cool it is. And, you know, at the end of the day, they're getting married in the mountains. And at the very beginning, we do kind of caution them about our I was gonna ask weather you and you... altitude. And they sign up yeah. for a mountain yeah. event. Yeah. <laughs> so they know, they know things might happen. Right. So that's, you know, number one, being proactive. Let's see, with power outages. So some of, some of these power outages, we haven't really got had much warning. Right. Um, so luckily we had like a lot of lanterns and battery powered candles <laughs> yeah. on hand, but with one, we were kind of prepared and we managed to reschedule everything earlier Ooh. so oh. that food service and anything needing electricity was done by the time the, the power was going to go right. out. And we yeah. had generators on hand right. and um, we actually were, were very well prepared. And in the end, the power didn't go out. So with that, <laughs> as a planner, we just have to have plans A, B and C yeah, lined totally, up. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. So in your experience, just because we are surrounded by some of those beautiful nature in the world, Without naming favorites, are there key characteristics that couples should look at if they want an outdoor wedding? Like, you know, big mountains behind them, a flat meadow. Like, what, what, what are the things that contribute to like, something memorable? Um, it's not that people should come. What should they come looking for? But every client is different and comes uh, looking for something different. Mm. What we have to offer, which seems to be our big selling point, and by the way, not just weddings for us, 50% of our revenue is weddings. Mm -hmm. The other 50% is corporate groups, nonprofits, special projects. Um, But what they come here looking for is our, you know, access to unbelievable recreation, unbelievable views, Mm -hmm. whether it's mountaintop or lakeside or meadow view, Mm -hmm. that's what they're leaving Southern or Northern California for. Um, and they want their guests to have a unique experience as well. A lot of our clients want everything customized. So they're not necessarily looking for like a package that they could get at any 
banquet hall right, or, right. or meeting space. They love the, the uniqueness of some of our venues. And by the way, our y- venues are very unique. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we've got outdoor, we've got indoor, we've got mountaintop, um, lakeside, mm-hmm. and we've got meadows, and we've got, you know, museums and lawns, and um, none of those are cookie cutter. Yeah, right? yeah. That's awesome, though. Right? Have you have you ever had an experience where somebody has come to you and wanted you to plan this wedding in this way, and you've kind of had to talk them off the ledge? They come with Pinterest. <laughs> <laughs> and they come with images of what they want. And for the most part, we can recreate or modify those visions, those visuals to give them what they want. But Mm -hmm. in some cases, physically, they're just not possible. Mm -hmm. So when they're physically not possible, of course, we uh, educate them, but we'll try to provide an alternative for what would be possible here in the mountains that other people on Pinterest haven't done yet. (laughs) (laughs) There's few beaches that, that in the Eastern so, Sierra. Yeah, yeah right, right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Well, I know that people come to you because you can work so well with them and give them that alt- those alternatives when when they're needed in a reassuring and gentle, enthusiastic manner. So we try. I I, I know you do. <laughs> Sandra, something we ask all of our guests uh, is, what are you reading now? Ooh. And I know you're a reader because we're in book club together. Yes, but I'm the, I'm the notorious book clubber who rarely reads the book and <laughs> is there for the socializing. And, and you're giving away okay. the book ways. Maybe a drink secret. or two. Yeah, exactly. Um, but this month is my book month month. Oh. Yes. And I chose um, a Please don't escape me now. I chose And Then There Were None by Agatha Christie. Classic. Because yes. I just wanted something to relax the brain mm-hmm. and a good thriller. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoyed it. And before that, I had just finished Becoming by uh, Michelle Obama, which right. I also yes. enjoyed. Very different, obviously very different books. You know, I read all of Agatha Christie when I was younger. I remember reading and then there were none and there, and Mm -hmm. she'd structured a lot of her books that way of like getting 10 or 12 people like on a train or in a hotel and cut off and then they start dropping one by one by one. And it's just kind of like a fun, Mm -hmm. fun puzzle to unpack during the course of a book. So have you read it yet? Do you have your questions ready for a book club? I read it. Okay, truth be told, I listened to it on Audible. Yeah, that's fine. That's, that's awesome. Same. That's, that's good enough. Yeah. yeah. And I'm going to watch it because there are a few adaptations. Yeah. adaptations of it on film on YouTube. And um, I don't have my questions ready mm-hmm. yet. But I, so I, every time I read a book or, or go to an event or see a movie, unfortunately, I'm cursed with an auditor's eye and brain. <laughs> so I'm always looking for what's wrong. Yeah, right. <sighs> and with this book, I just noted a couple of moments when it, it just didn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, but I could, I could have missed something. So I want to know if my peers got the backstory and maybe I missed it somewhere. 
So there's so I will wait okay. to hear the feedback from the discussion. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Because I don't want to spoil anything. But there are often there's a character tra- not a character trait. There's a characteristic of Agatha Christie mysteries that often. There's one thing that doesn't make sense and it drives oh. a lot of mystery readers nuts. So I'm yeah. curious to hear what your discussion's about. Okay. And then the other thing I just read this week about, there's like a, there was a blog post somewhere. I'll share it on the website about um, hotels, literary hotels that you can stay at. Oh, how fun. Where books took place. And apparently she based this story on a hotel in the South of England. So like, you know, you can go travel and stay in this hotel Our where book she envisioned. Club should go. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I'm down. You're an event planner, make yeah. it happen, right? But that's awesome. That's a great recommendation. Yeah, thanks. That's really cool. So, listeners, if you want to pick up and then there were none and let us know if it all makes sense to you, that the would book or the movie the or the audio version, right. whatever version you want, right. Let us know what you think. You can email us, right? Yes. Yeah. You can email us. You can go to our website. You can go to Instagram. Sandra, where can our listeners find Green Fox events on social media? Oh, they can find us on Facebook, Green Mm -hmm. Fox events, on Instagram, at Green Fox events, and um, a little bit on YouTube. I think we're going to grow our YouTube presence. Very good. Awesome. We will link those on our website show page as well. Yes, we definitely will. And thank you so, so much for taking time out of your very, very busy schedule to talk with us today. It was a delight having you. Thank you guys. This was super fun. I'm glad. We enjoyed, <laughs> this wasn't stressful, right? We enjoyed no, it, no too. No stress allowed. No, we certainly enjoyed it. No stress allowed. And listeners, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Oxygen Starved Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode like we did... Had a lot of fun. Please take some time to subscribe, to rate and leave us a review. Help us increase our visibility and bring Sandra back again to talk with us. You can check us out on our website, oxygenstarvedpodcast.com and our Instagram page, O2Starved. Thanks again for listening. Keep breathing and we'll see you soon. Take care. Thanks for listening to Oxygen Starved. Our outro music, Iron Bacon, is composed and performed by Kevin McLeod. Incompetech.com, Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license.